this morning, we're going to talk about racism, what it is, and then really what does the Bible have to say about it. And it really comes down to one fundamental question, and it's even more broader than this one. You do the slides and then you think, can even make it much more broader than I'll be here all day. But the idea of we treat people differently because of something. In the Middle Ages, it was who you were born to. But we treat them differently. We have different values for them versus us, usually. And, and again, without getting into um, reading vast amounts of text, but the basic idea of racism is um, the belief that humans can be divided into separate and exclusive biological entities. This was written by an academic, you can tell. In other words, you split people up into different groups based on something, some trait, um, whether that's personality, intellect, morality, whatever. And then you treat one as inferior and one as superior. So you're in this group. If you've got brown eyes, you're over there. If you've got blue eyes, you're over there. If you've got brown eyes, we treat you like scum. If you've got blue eyes, we treat you like royalty. Why? No reason whatsoever other than probably I'm in the blue eye group. Actually, I've got no idea what colour my eyes are. But, um, but you see how this sort of arbitrary assignment of people into different groups based on some arbitrary requirement, arbitrary feature, arbitrary place to where you live. In the 18th century um, was when they think this term was invented um, and it was to do to justify the um, taking of the people from Africa into slavery, into places like uh, US and um, other places like that. In the 19th... Oh, hang on, too far. In the 19th century, um, it kind of matured in its um, use of this... And it became sort of a broader term, not just for uh, particular people from particular countries, but also included religion, language, and all sorts of other things like that. And again, it still has that same basic idea of someone is superior and someone is inferior based upon these criteria. Partly that was um, caused by... uh, Evolution, but it was, it was in society before that. And, and you get examples of that sort of stuff. We talked about the slavery in Africa, um, the way that the, the Jews were treated um, in Germany in World War II. But the basics of it is this, that on some criteria, whether it's what you look like, your religion or your minority in a country or something, we treat you differently. And usually um, not well. So, and again, it has this idea of lower and higher races. And as I mentioned, basically, part of the, um, the concept that came out in evolution was this idea that we, we progressed from lower to higher. And of course, they're the lower and we're the higher. 
Um, for those, and this may come as a shock, but I've actually read Jane Austen's one Jane Austen book as being a male and actually seen the film and bought the T-shirt. No, the T-shirt. I didn't get the T-shirt. But if you look at the language in um, one of the Jane Austen books, where they talk about, um, and it's fascinating to think of it from the class point of view, that savage and civilised in the terminology that is used. And again, that inclination of, well, the savages are down here and civilised are up here. And even those who are civilised, there's the gentlemen and the others. And it's quite interesting to look at. But it still revolves around that same sort of idea. But what does God say on this? What is God's view of this? Go back to the beginning. In the beginning, Genesis 1, chapter 26 to 28, then God said, let us make man in our, in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, having dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Basically, all human life came from one pair, Adam and Eve. So everybody who lives on this earth Derived from them. And again, you've got the, fl- the flood where only um, a number of people survive and then it comes out from that. And so, if we are made in the image of God, all of us, then how would we treat one person differently to another? Not based upon the way we look. We all look differently. Right? Look at me, I'm white. Nobody else is as white as me. Because well, I spent a couple of years in Norway. You know what happens in Norway in winter? The sun doesn't rise. It just peeps over the horizon and then goes back down. So I didn't get any of the nice tans. I got, you know. But that's not the point. The point is, who decided that arbitrary tanning should be the criteria? Where does this arbitrary concept come from that I can treat one person worse than somebody else when God made us all in his image so that we are basically all children of God regardless of what we look like. And we don't all look the same. We've all got different faces, etc. And that's called DNA and I'm not getting into DNA and genetics. Um, If you want to, you can look it up on the internet. As they say, Google it. And as we know, environment has an effect on your genetics anyway. If you go out in the sun, you go brown, except for some people. (laughs) But what about, though, collectively referring to people by names? Because that happens in the Bible. For example, um, I've got a couple of passages just to to think through. The Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and this is a bit later on after the the fall, after um, Cain kills his brother. Um, from the presence of the Lord and dwells in the land of Nod in the east of Eden. 
And Cain knew his wife and he conceived and bore Enoch and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. How many people here refer to themselves as from Brisbane? Or from, insert your country of birth here? Or whatever the Australian slang term is for that country of birth. And we, we associate quite often with ourselves... State of origin. I have never seen in one country suddenly somebody become so patriotic about their state as in state of origin. See, in Tasmania, where I came after England, um, NRL wasn't a thing. People didn't play NRL. Well, they did, but nobody ever talked about it. All right? um, and then you suddenly you find yourself in Canberra and there's all this state of origin stuff. Then you come to Queensland and it's like everywhere. Dress up at work. And it's all that sort of identification. And we do it all the time. Right? And we, yes, sometimes they hope that they beat the other team, but that's beside the point. So that idea of associating with someone from a particular city, um, I haven't named any cities after me, but... Uh, in Genesis uh, 35, we have the statement where God renames Jacob. And he calls him um, Israel. And he says, um, your name is Jacob, Uh, your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And then a bit later on in their history, back when they're in Egypt, um, and this is just before what George was talking about, they were known as the children of Israel. Because in Exodus 1 it says, now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. And later on in Deuteronomy chapter 1, these are the names, uh, so these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain opposite um, Sufa between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dishab. You notice how the name changes? They went from children of Israel to Israel. So sometimes people become Um, In the nation of Israel, they were named after one of their ancestors. But, look how God deals with um, and what criteria he uses. Then he said to Abraham, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them four hundred years. And also the nation whom they serve I will judge afterwards. They shall come out with great possessions. Now as you, uh, sorry for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation they'll return here from the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, God used this concept of naming people from where they were. But look at the criteria that God judges by. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So it's not what they look like, it's not what country they're from, it's not any of those, it's what they do, what their behaviour is like, what their thinking is like. And so quite often you see this thing where they're referred to based on the the country that they come from. So when God gives them the promised land, 
Um, notice the way he talks about them is by naming the countries. And so Canaanites came from Canaan. Um, Perizzites, uh, Hittites, and the Jezebites, I can't even say it anymore, Jebusites. But just as the Lord your God has commanded you, lest they teach you to do accordingly to all the abominations which they have done for their gods and sin against the Lord your God. So this is when God is commanding them to go in to take that promised land. And notice what it is. He's saying their sin is the problem and they're being punished for that. Um, But God was really concerned that the people of Israel, that their um, evil doing not become an influence on Israel as part of that. And so, yes, we do get people um, referred to by um, areas that they live, their descend- who they're descended from. But when God deals with people, he deals with them based upon not where they're from necessarily, but by what they do, that um, judgment of evil. And it wasn't just for Israel. It wasn't that Israel was, you know, the holy thing and everybody else was totally excluded and God had nothing to do with them. Um, Nineveh was a city that was part of the non-Jewish world. Uh, And in Jonah, um, and I've just got a couple of extracts from Jonah. Now the Lord, uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of um, Amittal, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covering himself with sackcloths and ashes. So here's an example of a non-Jewish city that God sends a prophet to. After a bit of convincing, the prophet goes in there and he preaches to them. And what do they do? They repent. They turn to God. And again, it's because of their sin um, that God was um, doing these actions against them or warning them of what was to come. And so you have a number of instances where Israel um, had that influence on those around them and um, people came in and joined up with Israel. And I'm not going to go through all that. I don't have time. Um, but Jonah was an example of the principle that he talks about in Romans 2. And that is, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is on the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And that idea of... What made you the people of God was what was going on inside. Whether you, and if you want to read the whole chapter, um, the section in chapter 2, he's talking about it's not that the fact that they had the law, it's if you kept the righteous requirements of the law, God was happy with you. If you didn't, then God punished you. Now, when we come to the New Testament times, and particularly as you're getting into the latter part of the prophets, you start seeing again some of this terminology. Uh, in a prophecy of Haggai, um, he talks about, I will overthrow, in 22, the throne of kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overthrow their chari- the chariots, those who ride in. The horses and their riders shall come down, everyone by the sword of his brother. 
and this idea of Gentile, and this term of this terminology was appearing in um, the latter part of Jewish history before Christ came, uh, particularly terms like Jew, Samaritan, and then Gentile Greek. And your Jews basically were those in the northern kingdom, those who had supposedly remained faithful, um, and they were mostly descended from Judah and Benjamin, the two tribes. The Samaritans, well, they were the ones that got carted off to Assyria, but they'd intermarried with Assyria. And so, notice that um, the northern kingdom no longer existed per se, but it becomes Samaria. And there were a number of other um, areas up there, uh, and again, without getting into a geography lesson. And then the Greek or the Gentile was everybody else. And it had started to creep in um, this idea of let's treat them differently. Let's not, let's not associate with people. And we have a couple of examples in New Testament times. Um, and the response of the woman at the well, uh, and there shows you the relationship between Jews and Samaritans. Because she's surprised when Jesus comes up to her and says, um, give me a drink of water. And... Um, She says to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And if you remember in Acts 11, uh, remember the the lesson that um, Peter gets taught about the vision that comes down from heaven. And he goes off to Cornelius. And when he gets back, you get in chapter 11, uh, now the apostles and the brethren who in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcised contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them. And again, you get that sort of distinction appearing of, well, there's the circumcised and, you know, we don't have anything to do with these other people. Um, and that's not necessarily what God had intended. And we'll see that as we go through. Okay, so what was Jesus' response to some of these divisions? Now, Jesus was um, quite upfront about the fact that his mission was to start with the Jews. Right? He'd come to the lost house of Israel. But, as we saw in the Samaritan woman, um, that didn't exclude him um, teaching to other people, nor healing the Gentiles. And you have um, the example in Matthew 15 of the woman who comes to Jesus um, for healing and you get this interesting um, conversation where it's, uh, Jesus says to her it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs which is not very uh, a pleasant way to respond uh, but then she's, and, and it's sort of, she says yes Lord yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table and it's very interesting to see her response and again without getting into the details of this Jesus' response was he healed because of her faith rather than um, anything else. And you think about some of the others as well, um, that Jesus heals because the uh, centurion, all you have to do is say the word. And Jesus says, I haven't even seen such faith in Israel um, rather than anything else. And so while Jesus primarily spoke to the Jews, he also included others, but... Think about some of the examples he used as he taught the Jews. Um, this is a familiar passage. 
And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. This is your first and great commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. And then, wanting to justify himself, he said, Well, who's my neighbour? Do I have to deal with the Smiths down the road? Or can I only deal with the Jones? There's no one Jones here, is there? No? And then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed him, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him he passed by on the other side. Isn't that amazing? You see a fellow human being, and what do you do? You cross the road. Likewise a Levite, and this is people from their own um, group, if you want to use that term. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So to teach this lawyer... What the meaning of being a neighbour is, he uses a group that they have no dealings with as someone who has compassion on someone. And you think how confronting that would be um, to someone who of that Jewish nature. But you think about the idea of the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment wasn't to love the people that I get on with, not to love the people that I hang out with, It's not to love the people who turn up to my social group or insert any other group here. It's to love your neighbour as yourself. And that whole point of that Samaritan example was to give you the idea that neighbour is huge. And Jesus spelt it out for some of the people in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbour. And Jesus says, but I say unto you, sorry, old King James, that's what you memorise in and you can't help it, you shall love your enemies. Now that's paraphrasing, you can read the rest in um, Matthew 5 yourself. But that idea of, we put limits on who neighbour is. And Jesus is saying, nope, even those who are your enemies classify as ones that you are to love. And when Jesus finished his ministry, he spoke this, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so part of Jesus' mission, yes, he was talking to the Jews initially, but was to bring all people under salvation to God. 
not just selected groups. And it was all nations, starting in Jerusalem and working your way out. So that when by the time uh, Galatians is written, Paul says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you are baptised into Christ to put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In God you are all the same. And that does that mean that certain people weren't slaves? Certain people weren't masters? Absolutely doesn't mean that. Because they were slaves, they were masters. And they were told to behave in that relationship um, in certain ways. But God doesn't treat them any differently. And neither should we. We are all children of God, irrespective of whatever divisions you happen to have thought of in the past. So the idea of racism, assigning worth based on what I call arbitrary means, arbitrary ideas, right? It's not the biblical view. The biblical view is we are all made in the image of God. We are all treated the same, right? And terms we used related more to their ancestry and where they lived rather than anything to do with this concept of race. Um, So in conclusion then, there should be no distinctions made by Christians. We are the children of God, full stop. Right? We are created by God. And we are to love all. All of people, all of humankind. That's what love your neighbour means. Right? And we are all equal in Christ. All those old distinctions have been, even if you had those old distinctions in the past, and the Jewish system, they're all now removed.